Good morning, and welcome to Storms Creek Missionary Baptist Church's Sunday morning radio program. This morning we'll be joining Pastor Kenny Hurts as we once again open the scriptures and study God's Word. Okay, this morning we're going to be in the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua. We're going to be focusing on chapter 2. And I've titled the message for today, A Convert in Canaan. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have uh, what is often called the Hall of Fame of the Heroes of Faith. And in chapter 11 and verse 31, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And so in this chapter where you have all these people who are noted for their faith, all the list is referring to men except for two. There are two women that are mentioned in this list. One is Sarah, who is the wife of Abraham, and the other is Rahab, who's a harlot from Jericho. Now, Sarah, uh, we know, was a godly woman. She was the wife of the man who was the father of the Hebrew nation, Abraham. God used her body to bring the promised child, Isaac, into the world. Rahab, on the other hand, was, well, she was an ungodly woman. She was a Gentile. That means she wasn't a part of the Jewish race. She worked to worship pagan gods, and she used her body to make money. So, humanly speaking, they were about as different as night and day. They didn't have anything in common. That's humanly speaking. For from a divine standpoint, they had in common the most important experience that you can have in life. That is, they were both women of faith. They had both put their trust in the living God, and they were included in his own family. So we see the Bible talks about this connection between Sarah and Rahab. There's also a connection between uh, Abraham and Rahab. If you look in James chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, James is talking about faith and that faith without works is, is dead. Faith always is going to be proven by its good works. Two examples of faith by works that he uses are Abraham and Rahab. But then the Bible also uh, has another connection with Rahab, and that is with the Messiah. If you look at the genealogies of our Lord, you'll notice that Rahab's name is found there along men such as Jacob and, Dan and David and so forth. So Rahab had a connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see that she's come a long way from her origins, from her pagan beginnings, from her uh, days in prostitution. Now she's a child of God and she is a part of the ancestry of the Messiah. Well, she is noted as being a woman of faith. As I said, that's why she's included in Hebrews chapter 11. And so what I want to do this morning for a few minutes is just talk about and focus on the faith of this woman. And so there are four things we're going to look at in regard to her faith. First of all, she had a courageous faith. Verse 1 says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. 
So the story is set in the context of the conquest of the land of Canaan. The story begins with Joshua, who is now the leader of the Jewish people, sending two spies to the city of Jericho. Just as Moses had done the same thing 40 years earlier, only he sent 12 spies, not to a city, but to spy out the whole land. Well, we know that only two of those 12 came back with an encouraging report, which is interesting. So here it's you see that Joshua is sending not 12 spies, but two spies into the city of Jericho. And I'm sure he carefully selected these two that he believed would give a favorable report. Now, we can't say for sure, but just as God did direct Moses to send the 12 spies into the land of Canaan, I believe it's reasonable to think that he also instructed Joshua to do the same in sending these two spies. Now, how you could ask that these two Hebrew spies make their way through the gate into this city without being noticed? Well, as we will see when we get into verse 2, that they didn't. But God in his providence, God uh, led them and, and guided them safely into the city and directed them to a house there in the city of Jericho. And of all places, the house of a harlot. Which I believe then brings up the real reason for the two spies being sent into Jericho. Not merely to get military information. And in fact, I'm not even sure that that is the reason why they went there. I think their main reason is, is because there was a woman there who needed to be saved and her family. Now, a lot of this is similar to what you have in John chapter 4 and verse 4, where we see Jesus saying that he had to go through Samaria. In fact, he says, I must needs go through Samaria. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? He was heading into Galilee. Was that the best way to go? No. Was it the quickest way to go? No. In fact, Jews often would avoid going through Samaria. They didn't do that. But here Jesus says, I must go through Samaria. And the reason is, is because he had one of his elect children there in that city. In fact, Jesus said, not one of these elect sheep are going to ever perish. So Jesus is interested in one particular woman there, this woman who he will meet there at Jacob's well, a Samaritan, a woman who needs to be saved. So I think that the same uh, setting, I think, is also seen here in Joshua. The same idea, because the two spies that are sent to Jericho are sent, I think, to, to save Rahab, to affirm her in her faith. Now, they didn't know that. They thought they were going there to look at the city as far as to gather military information. They didn't know that God had one of his elect children there. He didn't realize that he had one of his own sheep there that needed to be saved. You know, any more than when we go forth to preach the gospel, we don't know who God has chosen unto salvation. No, we just go and we are faithful to do what he's told us to do, and we leave the results up to him. Well, so they go and they encounter, of all people, a woman who's a harlot. Now, the Hebrew word there can mean one who keeps an inn. But I think in this case, that's not the title that she went by. In fact, the New Testament Greek word that's used in both James and Hebrew carries the idea of a prostitute. 
This is who she was and this is what she did. And it's to this woman's house that these two Hebrew spies come. Now he says in verse 2, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. So the king of Jericho is informed by someone that these two Israelites have come into the city. And they tell them that they saw them going into the home of Rahab. And so they send to her demanding that she deliver up these two spies unto him. Now, let me say that I believe that God has already been working on Rahab's heart before these two spies came. She had already heard about the God of Israel, and I believe she had already put her faith in that God. I think that the two spies simply are there just to confirm her and her faith and to physically, well, to physically be the means of saving her life. It's interesting that the first story that we read of in this conquest of the land has really nothing to do with God's judgment upon these wicked people. Now, God is going to bring judgment upon them. They're destined for judgment. But the first act that we see is not an act of judgment. It's an act of mercy. It's an act of God's grace. You know, Rahab had nothing going for her, humanly speaking. There was nothing about her that would cause God to to seek her out. For one thing, she was a Gentile. I mean, she didn't have the advantages of the Jewish people. She didn't have the promise. She didn't have the covenant. No, she was outside of that. She was a Gentile. She was an Amorite, and they were uh, the most sinful people probably that lived in that land. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16, it talks about the sins of the Amorites not reaching their full measure, but it eventually did, and God brought judgment upon them. So they were a people destined for God's wrath for his judgment because they were so wicked. So she was a Gentile. She was a part of the Amorite, the most wicked people in the land. And to top it off, she was a prostitute. He says in verse 4, And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. So Rahab knew that the spies were sent on a mission. She was sympathetic towards them. And so what she does is she hides them prior to the king sending agents there to arrest them. So what she does is she misleads these people who've come, these soldiers. She lies about where they were, and what she knew about them. Now, as we were going to see, she was a woman of faith, and she risked her life in hiding them on her rooftop. Now, people have to ask, what about her lying? You know, well, it was a matter of life and death, not just for her, but the two spies who came to her for protection. Whether it was right or wrong for her to do that, well, that's been debated for years. I'll let you be the judge of that. But the main lesson I think that we get from this story is not that she deceived them and misled them and gave false information to these men who came there, I'm sure, for the intent of killing these two spies. 
No, what she does, though, is she receives them, she risks her own life, and she gives evidence of true saving faith. So that's why I say that she had a courageous faith. Secondly, she had a confident faith. Verse 8 says, And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. See, in spite of the fact that uh, this woman was a Gentile, an Amorite, and a prostitute, she had one thing going for her. And that is, she had heard the word of God. Because he says in verse 11, as soon as we had heard these things. See, she heard the word of God. She heard about the God of Israel. And as a result of that is, she believed in him. She put her trust in him, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, it's true that there was a lot about God and a lot about Israel that she didn't know. But she did hear of God's activity in delivering his people from Egypt. She did hear how he parted the Red Sea. She heard about the two Amorite nations that he had um, brought judgment upon. What she heard of him was enough to convince her that he was the true God. And she put her faith and she believed in him. Now, how she heard these things, we don't know. Being a harlot, I'm sure there were people that were in and out that maybe traveled around as they came into Jericho that maybe heard these things and told her. But she heard the word of God. She shows more faith than the ten spies had 40 years before that. Because he says in verse 9, I know the Lord has given you the land. Well, those spies didn't say that. Now, I want you to look at her confession that, she, that we see in verse 11. First of all, she believed in the one true God. She didn't believe any longer in a multitude of gods. She didn't believe in Baal and Asherah and Marduk and all these other gods. No, she believed that there was only one God, only one true God, and that was Yahweh. She also believed that he was a personal God. But it says that he was the Lord your God. So he was personal. He works on behalf of those who trust him. He personally is involved, engaged in the lives of his people. And he had showed that in bringing them out of Egypt and bringing them through the wilderness, through the desert. She also believed that he was the God of Israel. He's the one who gave them the land. But also, you'll notice at the end of verse 11, says he is also God in heaven above and in the earth beneath, meaning he's the God of all creation. All the nations are really under his sovereign authority. He is the only God, the one true God of all the earth and of all heaven. So her conversion was truly, we can say, an act of God's grace. Like all the citizens in the land of Canaan, she was under God's wrath, under his condemnation, under judgment. She was destined to die. But God showed grace to her. So we see that hers is a courageous faith. It was a confident faith because she did put her faith in, in the true God. But it also was a concerned faith. You notice it says in verse 12, Now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord since I have showed you kindness that you will also show kindness 
unto my father's house and give me a true token and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the man answered her, our life for yours, if you, if we utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that he will deal kindly and truly with thee. So Rahab wasn't just concerned about her own welfare. She wasn't just simply seeking to save her own skin. No, she was personally uh, involved in others and seeing them experience this grace. You see, she had been a recipient of God's grace. And she didn't want that just to be for her. She had others that she was concerned about that she wanted to experience this same grace as well. And so she shows that she has truly experienced grace by her desire for others to experience that grace. So she's burdened, especially for those of her own family. She wants to see them rescued. She doesn't want to see them put to death. She wants to see them shown God's grace. You know, in John chapter 1, after Andrew met the Lord Jesus Christ, he then shared this good news with his brother Simon Peter, and he brought him to Jesus. Or I think of John chapter 4, I mentioned a minute ago about the uh, woman, the Samaritan woman that Jesus encountered there. Well, there, she's, after she realizes that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, she goes into town and says, Come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? So she was not just concerned about her own welfare. She was concerned about other people as well. In Mark chapter 1 and in verse 40, we have the story of a leper being cleansed. It says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. And saith unto him, See that thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. So Jesus here heals this leper, and he says, Now I want you to go forth, but I don't want you to tell anybody what I've done. I want you to keep this to yourself. Well, it says in verse 45, But he went out and began to publish it, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. So Jesus tells this cleansed leper to not tell anybody what's happened. Well, what he does is he disobeys the Lord, and he goes out and begins to publish and tell everybody of what this man has done for him. Now, I always read that. And I always think that even though he disobeyed the Lord, I have to think that the Lord was not overly disappointed or grieved with what he did. Because this man just had to go tell other people and share with other people what the Lord had done for him. And I think about that and I think about us today. 
where it's just the opposite. The Lord tells us to go forth and preach the gospel, to go forth and to proclaim the good news to all that we can. And so often when we're told to go forth and to speak, what we do is we remain quiet. And so we're disobedient. I think the Lord is more grieved with us than he is with this leper that he cleansed back there in Mark chapter 1. Rahab wanted insurance from these two spies that when the city was taken, that her family and she would be safe. And so what they do is they give her their word. And they also say, now, if we don't keep our word, then may we lose our own lives. So we see that she had a courageous faith, a confident faith, a concerned faith, and then lastly, a covenant faith. Verse 15, then she let them down by a cord through the window. Her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves. There are three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. And the man said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. See, she makes a covenant with these two spies. Now, a covenant is a contract, an agreement between two or more parties. Each party agrees to abide by the conditions that are laid down in this covenant. There's also divine covenants in the Bible, covenants between God and men, and covenants within the Trinity. There are conditional covenants, and there are unconditional covenants. There's also covenants between men and other men. For example, David and Jonathan made a covenant with one another. And here we see the two spies and Rahab, they make a covenant among them. Before the two spies left, Rahab is reaffirmed in the covenant that she's made with them. Now, what they are going to do in order to spare her and her family is they give her these instructions. Here's the, here's the covenant. Here's the conditions you have to abide by. You have to take a scarlet rope, just like the rope that they were being let down in over the wall as they left Jericho. And when we attack, I want you to take that rope and I want you to hang out the window. And then when the soldiers, when they see that scarlet rope, then they will spare you. They won't go in to that house. This is a lot like what you see in the Jewish Passover when it was instituted. God told the people to take a a lamb and to slay that lamb and to take the blood and to sprinkle it on the doorpost. So it was that blood on that doorpost. When the death angel saw that blood... He passed over that house. The firstborn in that house was spared. Well, I do believe the scarlet rope here is not scarlet just by accident. No, I think that there's an intention here. The scarlet, the red rope, I think is to signify the shedding of blood. And so those who were in the house, who were under the blood, you could say, were safe. Rehab and her family are going to be saved, not because of... The rope hanging, not because of their faith in that rope, but their faith in the God of Israel. The fact that she put the rope out of the window just proves that she had faith. So remember, her faith was not in this scarlet thread. No, 
it was in the fact that the God of Israel and the promise that he had made. Just like our faith is not in the cross, not in the blood of Christ, so to speak. Our faith is in the fact that Jesus, he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. The rope was a sign. That all those who remained in that home were under divine protection. Now, as you go on and read the chapter, and we won't do that, but you'll notice that if those, if any would depart and leave the home, then it says their blood's on your own hands. You, you take your own life at risk. You're no longer under protection. If you leave this place where the rope is, where the blood is, so to speak, then there is no protection for you. And it's the same for us. You know, we are by nature not a part of the family of God. We're corrupt. We're destined to die. We've sinned. We've broken God's law. But God has made a way for us to be spared. He's shown mercy and grace, a way of escape. That is, we have to, well, we have to repent of our sin and we have to identify with God's people. We have to put our faith and trust in Christ and in the blood of Christ that was shed for us. That's the only place of safety, friends. Just like Rahab and her family, the place of safety was in the place where the scarlet rope was. For us, the only place of safety is in the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for our sins. Outside of Christ, there's no protection. There's only judgment and eternal suffering. So today, I ask you, are you under the blood of Christ? If you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, are you a person of faith, just like Rahab, this Gentile Amorite who was a prostitute, but heard the word of the God and put her faith and trust in God and His word? May you today be one who put your faith and trust in the God of Israel. May you look to Christ. May you flee to Christ. May you saved. We'd like to thank you for listening to our program this morning. We pray that God has used this message to draw you closer to Him. Storms Creek Missionary Baptist Church would like to take this opportunity to invite you to any of its services. We have a Sunday school which starts at 9.30 a.m., Sunday morning worship 10.15, and our Sunday evening service starts at 6 p.m. We also have a Wednesday night Bible study it starts at 7.30 p.m. Storms Creek Missionary Baptist Church is also on the internet under sermonaudio.com. You can go to www.sermonaudio, look for Storms Creek Missionary Baptist Church, and listen to any of our sermons in full-length audio at the site. Again, we'd like to thank you for listening this morning, and may God bless you throughout the week.